it's interesting. I, I tell you a little bit how I how I came to to write it. I've done a lot of writing for magazines and those kinds of things over the year. Never really did a book. Never really wanted to. But I got a call from the publisher uh, of, of the book, Wilderness Adventures Press, and and they said, uh, you know, we've seen what you've written, you know, elsewhere, and you seem pretty knowledgeable. How'd you like to write a a, a guidebook for us? Uh, you fish a lot of mountain lakes, and I said, well, yeah, I do. Well, how'd you like to write a lake? And I said, I don't know. You know, it sounds like a lot of work and. And they said, well, you know, you're going to go there anyway, aren't you, and fish? Well, yeah. Well, then go there and fish and write about it and take pictures. And so, <laughs> and I, well, that sounds pretty good, you know, except for, I said, well, you know, his name was Chuck Johnson. I said, Chuck, you know, I've got, our, our lakes are really brushy around the edge, you know, unless you can get out a log boom or you've got a boat or something, you know, they're, they're pretty hard to fish. You're pretty much going to have to roll cast or, or do some wading or those kinds of things. And he said, well, then you get a boat, a little backpack boat. And I, I said, right, look, I'm, I'm an old man. You know, I, said, I can't back all that stuff. You know? And he says, well, then get a pack goat. So I did. And now the pack goat, <laughs> isn't that crazy? So he packs almost everything. I mean, if I'm going to go to a mountain lake, I want to be able to spend the night. Because it takes a little time to really figure out a lake. you know. So he packs all the camping gear and the camping and cooking stuff and whatnot. And then I've got a little backpack boat that I that I carry in a, in a pack, and that, that limits my weight to about 25 pounds, and I put about 40 pounds on him. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, brought to you by the Fly Crate. Now, since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques and provides unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. The Fly Crate is an American-owned company committed to helping USA veterans. Now, they're dedicating 2% of sales uh, to Project Healing Waters. So um, doing some good stuff they are, the Fly Crate. Check them out online. Also, something cool that we're just starting to do um, for our listeners, the Fly Crate. Um, along with the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, is giving away a waterproof fly box with 30 premium flies. Simply shoot me an email and a question that you would like to ask our next guest, who's going to be photographer uh, BJ Corner. So uh, anything you want to know about photography, shoot me an email. It's mark at flyfishing97.com. That's mark at flyfishing97.com. And we'll get your question on the next show. And uh, one lucky person will uh, win that fly box and 30 premium flies from the Fly Crate. <laughs> We've got Mike Rather on the line tonight. Now, Mike is a blogger. Mike is also an author, works in a fly shop. I think, uh, I think we're pretty well suited to have a chat here. Mike, thanks for so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, sure. You bet. So I, I was reading up on, on kind of what you've been up to with your blogs and also um, the book that you got out specifically on Montana Stillwaters, Alpine. I, I'd love to talk that. Uh, just so you know, Mike, we usually get into... Um, all your fly fishing stories. But first, I want to start at the very beginning, kind of think back in time. How did fly fishing start for you? Uh, uh, I've got good memories of that. Actually, I lived in uh, Washington State, in western Washington at that time. And I was just a really young guy in my 20s, I guess. And I had a friend who who wanted me to learn how to fly fish. You know, well, I didn't have a rod, so I, I built one. I was building fishing rods at the time. So 
I built one. I, I got a Fenwick blank. Carbon fiber was not even thought of at the moment. So I got a good Fenwick blank and, and put a nine footer together, seven weight, being fast and, and uh, went out and tried to fish some of the, the rivers around there. Well, I don't know if you're that familiar with it or not, but those rivers, there just isn't much in them. They're just, they're pretty, pretty, uh, pretty quiet, you know, as far as fish are concerned. So I just, I tried it and I thought, well, no, this, I, you know, I thought, well, I'll try some still water, you know. So I, I drove up to a lake in the area. This, this particular lake had, had a couple of launches and one launch was just a real old one, very seldom used anymore. And it was a lowland lake. There's a lake of lily pods at one end. And I, I caught a, uh, or I saw a, a trout just kind of moving along and, and picking something. I didn't know what it was uh, along the lily pads there. So I thought, well, I grabbed my fly rod and I cast out. I just had a royal wolf on me, you know. And uh, by golly, he ate it. This <laughs> 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 is fantastic, you know. So I brought it in and turned it loose. And, and uh, that was the first fish I ever caught on a fly rod. And then after that, I just, because of the rivers were so sterile, I just kind of lost interest in, in fly fishing uh, until I uh, moved into Montana here, you know, about 18 years ago. And uh, then, of course, this is you know, one of the fly fishing capitals of the world. So you know, I got back into it. I was real glad to be able to, to have that available. Mm-hmm. So your home base now is whereabouts in Montana? Well, I live in St. Regis, Montana. It's about 30 miles inside the uh, Montana border from Idaho. So between all your writing that you're doing, Mike, and uh, you're also working in a fly shop, why don't you tell us about your day job at uh, Joe Cantrell's Outfitting? Oh, yeah. Sure, no problem. I mean, I just, there's not much to tell, really. I mean, people come in and they ask questions and they want to know, you know, about stream access and so on and so forth. We live right near the Clark Fork River, which is one of Montana's really unsung heroes. It's going to be really a good fishery in years to come. It's pretty good now, but anyway, they'll come in and say, well, you know, where can I get shore access? You know, can I get a guide? You know, what, what are they hitting? Mm-hmm. You know, all those kinds of things. So it's just a matter of answer questions and sell licenses and, and just be there and take care of people as they come in. So you must have a really good feel for what's going on in and around your neck of the woods, uh, fly fishing wise. I mean, I'm sure you're seeing people on a day to day basis finding out what's hot, what's not, uh, what's working. Uh, how much of an advantage does that give you when you hit the water? Oh, I think it gives me a huge advantage. Yeah. Now, where I live here, there's there's over 70 alpine cirques, alpine lakes in Mineral County, and most they're just they're just not fish. So most of the time, we're talking about the river. These are river fishermen. And uh, so, yeah, the first thing in the morning when I come in, I want to corral Joe and say, okay, what did they, what were they, how did you do yesterday? What are they hitting on? You know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And we've got you know, a couple of guides that work there. And so I could get a pretty good feel for what's what's happening. But anymore, it's kind of like, you know, well, you know, <laughs> so, you know, this, this, this time of year, they're hitting on this or towards the fall, you know, you're going to switch to, you know, some caddis and those kinds of things. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's given me a real advantage, that's for sure, because I can pick their brakes sometimes too, as well as they pick in mine. Absolutely, it's a two it's a two way street there, and I I hear you there. You learn. I, I always found when you work at a fly shop, you're learning as much as you're you're telling other people. It's just uh, it's just a huge source of information. I want to switch gears on you and start talk a little Stillwater. So the the book that uh, Mike had written a few had written a few years actually, Mike, what year did you write that book? I'm just going to. Enter. It took me about three years. It was published uh, a year ago this last spring. So, okay. uh, I think June of 2018 is when it was actually 
uh, made available. So Mike wrote, authored a book called The Fly Fisher's Guide to Northwest Montana's Mountain Lakes. So if you're looking to hit some, some alpine or some, some, some higher elevation still water in Montana, here's a good place to start. Tell us a little bit about the book. Well, um, <laughs> it's interesting. I, I tell you a little bit how I, how I came to, to write it. I've done a lot of writing for magazines and those kinds of things over the year. Never really did a book, never really wanted to. Mm-hmm. But I got a call from the publisher uh, of, of the book, Wilderness Adventures Press, and and they said, uh, you know, we've seen what you've written, you know, elsewhere, and you seem pretty knowledgeable. How'd you like to write a, a, a guidebook for us? Uh, you fish a lot of mountain lakes. And I said, well, yeah, I do. Well, how'd you like to write a lake? And I said, I don't know. You know, it sounds like a lot of work. And and they said, well, you know, you're going to go there anyway, aren't you, and fish? Well, yeah. Well, then go there and fish and write about it and take pictures. And so, <laughs> and I said, well, that sounds pretty good, you know, except for, I said, well, you know, his name was Chuck Johnson. I said, Chuck, you know, I've got... Our, our lakes are really brushy around the edge, you know, unless you can get out a log boom or you've got a boat or something, you know, they're, they're pretty hard to fish. You're pretty much going to have to roll cast or, or do some wading or uh, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, then you get a boat, a little backpack boat. And I, I said, well, look, I'm, I'm an old man. You know, I, just, I can't pack all that stuff, you know. And he says, well, then get a pack goat. So I did. <laughs> and now the pack goes, <laughs> isn't that crazy? So he packs almost everything. I mean, if I'm going to go to a mountain lake, I want to be able to spend the night because it takes a little time to really figure out a lake, you know. So he packs all the camping gear and the camping and cooking stuff and whatnot. And then I've got a little backpack boat that I that I carry in a, in a pack. And that, that limits my weight to about 25 pounds. And I put about 40 pounds on him. So that is, so. you know, that's, I've not heard of anybody using a goat to pack their equipment in. <laughs> Into a lake before well, I love it. It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. I mean, that's a that's a whole other subject in itself. But what, what's your, <laughs> what's your so go ahead? Go ahead. I'm gonna say, what's your goat's name that's doing all this work for you? Oh, his name is Grover. Grover the goat. Okay. So, what are you putting on Grover? Grover is it goat. your like your U boat or float tube or what are you packing? No, actually, I I, I put uh, he's got a he's got his crossbuck just as if he was a mule. Mm. You know. He's got a crossbuck and panniers hang on the side, and soft panniers hang on the side. And so, like I said, he carries all the, all the food and the tent and the sleeping bag and the cooking equipment and all that kind of stuff and, and you know, camera equipment and whatnot. And, and then I just carry the boat in the pack. And I'm, you know, it's 25 pounds, including the pack. I can do that. Hmm. So now, and so he carries everything else. And, you know, there's really advantages with him, too. I know you don't have to shoe him. They eat everything except for tin cans. They don't eat tin cans, regardless of what people say. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, it works out pretty well. And so, yeah, I did. I, I got, you know, I, I got what I needed to do. And, and I said, okay, let's let's do her. And it took me three seasons to do it. But we did it. It's over 130 lakes in the book. So Wow. So that, and that sounds like a labor of love. So when you're hitting these waters, you'd mentioned on our kind of pre-interview, we did a, just a quick chat that you were surprised at how, easy it was to catch fish in some of these lakes oh incredibly easy yeah i mean this is not it's a great place to take people when you want to break them into fly fishing you know other than the casting situation and and it's about you, you can teach a roll cast pretty easy you don't have to cast very far mm-hmm. and uh so it's all about solitude i mean i've got lots of big fish and and you'll get a few big fish in the mountain lakes you know but but i mean you can get something 18 inches that's that's pretty big Right. Most of them are smaller than that, but it's all about solitude, you know, rather than, rather than, uh, you know, catching big fish. I mean, I can get to a lake and there's just a lot of times there's nobody there and I get the whole thing to myself. 
So, and I enjoy that, even if the fish are smaller and they're very cooperative, they're easy to catch. I mean, you know, you don't have to have any real specialized equipment. You know, some people fish still water and they go, well, you know, I got to have a 15 foot leader and, you know, all those kinds of things. And this is just like, you know, five weight, medium action, floating line, wakeboard floating line, and, and a, you know, a nine foot leader, six X, and you're good to go. You know, it just, mm-hmm. it just isn't real hard or real difficult. Of course, nobody can guarantee you will catch fish, but, you know, it's, it's pretty easy. Maybe speak to the uh, how pretty these fish are, because I know a lot of these alpine waters are very clear, and usually that means some pretty colorful fish. Oh, yeah, very, very pretty. Yeah, they're just beautiful. Um, especially if you get, you know, if, especially if they're in spawning colors. Uh, most of our lakes here in Montana, our alpine lakes, didn't have fish originally. Because most of our lakes don't have an inlet stream, and that's what you need for cutthroat and rainbow. You know, the the brook, so originally they planted brook trout in a lot of them here in Mineral County, and they just overpopulated, got snaky and scented, and so you know, they're trying to we're trying to fix that problem now. But originally there weren't any, any 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 fish in a lot of these lakes, so they originally they pack them in. And we've all heard of that, you know, pack them in on the you know pan, you're on your back, and the trout fry, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and turn them loose, and then they grow, and they grow, and they grow. Uh, and then when that, you know, then they started using fixed wing aircraft and, but swooping in and out of a mountain lake can be a little hairy. Right. You know, even if we, even if we all are, y'all are Yahoo, it doesn't really work for, it just doesn't work very good. <laughs> so then they went to helicopter planting after that. And that's what they're doing now. And basically most of our lakes are on a, about a three year rotation. As a matter of fact, with Montana, you can get the planning schedule from Montana Fish Wildlife Park's website. You can get the planning schedules. You can find out what fish is in them, mm-hmm. what kind of fish, what species. You know, the, the whole thing is, is there available for you. Now, are most of the trout that they're stocking in these alpine waters, in in your experience in, in Montana, are they mostly rainbows and cutthroats, or is there a mix? What what species are you targeting? The west slopes. Yep. The, 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 the uh, tendency right now with Montana Fish and Wildlife Parks, because west slope cutthroat is our only really native trout, what they're trying to do now is, is reintroduce these or introduce them. Uh, and in the case of brook trout, they try and you know, do enough stocking that they'll eventually swamp out the brookies. Right. Uh, but anyway, it's less slope. That's a big deal because that's a native fish and, and they're just, they're a beautiful fish too, you know, with the, with the stripes and so on and so forth. But most of them have less slopes. Uh, a few have rainbow. Um, I mean, as far as most of the lakes and rivers, well, we don't plant rivers anymore. I haven't for about 30 years. Right. But most of the lakes um, are just planted with fry, and then they just grow up. So, I mean, I can look at stocking schedules, which I can get, you know, like I said, online. I can look and, and go, okay, you know, they're planted them, you know, let's say in 2015. Okay, right now it's 2000, summer of 2019. It's been about four years. It's going to be around 12 to 13 inches right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's going to be a bunch of little ones because they continue to plant. Right. And uh, it, you usually figure five years after the plant, those fish are going to reach their maximum size. They're, they're older fish. They're going to be uh, 16, 17, 18 inches. You know, nice fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too many of them left, of course. But uh, nice fish, and but they they just don't get much bigger than that, and they're always always seem to be hungry because you know these fish spend nine months out of the year under the ice. So right, yeah, that's that's been my experience in in any alpine fishery, and also if you're willing to do your homework on stocking reports, that sure goes a long way because you you can uh, 
kind of hand select your you know your location where you're headed pretty quickly and and usually find some some decent fish if you really look into the report exactly and uh, you know it does take some homework i use you know, homework there i use google Earth sometimes you know if i haven't been to a lake before mm-hmm. you know i want to zoom in and see what's there and is there a place to camp you know and and uh, what's the terrain look like you know is there room for a back cast in that one or a log boom or something and so google earth has been quite quite handy too we're chatting tonight with Mike Rather. Now, Mike is an author of Fly Fisher's Guide to Northwest Montana's Mountain Lakes, has written over 50 articles in various uh, regional and, and national periodicals, uh, Montana Outdoor Magazine, Northwest Fly Fishing Magazine, and uh, Mike's blog is really good. I'd like to talk about that. And Mike also works at uh, Joe Cantrell's Outfitting in uh, St. Regis, Montana. Let's talk about your blog a little bit, Mike. I was uh, reading through quite a few of them over the last couple of days, and uh, you got a unique perspective going on there. Oh well, let me ask you how, how do you, how do you mean? Well, what, what I liked was okay. The fir- the first one I read was it was you, you were just kind of it was like you're putting your thoughts out there as as you were forming them, saying that you know here we are, we're fishing thousand dollar rods with you know, five, $600 waders and, and, and we're throwing like a, a buck 50 fly. Does, yeah. <laughs> what, what, yeah. What's wrong with this picture? And you were saying your take on it, at least what I took out of it was how important the presentation, the actual fly that the fish is going to see is compared to kind of where we put the rest of our efforts in our gear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe exactly. speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you, you work well, in, like, a, you work in a fly shop, so you're surrounded by great presentations, I'm sure all the time. Um, tell me your thoughts on that. On blogging? Yeah, no, on sorry. Blog? On, on that specific article, like as far as, um, <laughs> where you were going with that, like just maybe, uh, elaborate on, uh, oh, your yeah. mindset. Well, the, uh, what I'm trying to get people to realize is that you know, you can have great equipment, and I like good equipment. I've got good equipment, and it's not cheap stuff. But uh, you know, the 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 point is, is that that fly is that's the connection right there. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. And uh, you can zero in on that, funnel down to it, and go, okay, you know, that fly needs to to look like something, but it doesn't need to be an exact match. But it's got to look like something that's happening. The beauty of fishing mountain lakes is is that it you know doesn't doesn't patterns and you're probably pretty good to go just about any time of year. Hmm. But my thought on that is is that you know let's 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 pay attention to fly. That's the important part, and let's not. Yeah, I mean, gee, I I you can spend a lot of money for flies, you know, but they can get too good, you know, they can match things too close. Yeah, you know? that, that's uh, that comes up a fair bit on on the show as far as uh, realistic versus um, suggestive patterns and. Let's put it this way. A lot of flies are tied to catch the angler rather than the fish or the, <laughs> or the fly fisher. And when, when I see a, like a beautiful presentation that, that it doesn't move, I'm just like, it doesn't make me want to tie it on. It's great to look at. But um, what are some tried and tested flies for you? And, and let, let's specifically talk some, some alpine lakes. So when, you, when you're approaching some of these lakes that you write about in your book, what would be a common uh, pattern that you'd tie on? Well, I've got my go-to, you know, when I'm going to try first. And then most obviously there's some topwater action, you know, going on. And I can figure out, you know, uh, what they're eating and, and find something that's at least close close to the profile, you know. But other than that, my go-to is just a double fly setup. I'll use, uh, you know, I'll use two flies. Uh, usually the dropper is a, is a pink scud, number 14. 
and the hot pink too. I don't know what it is, but there's a whole story behind that too. But hmm. that and and I'll usually tie on a Sheep's Creek. You know, I usually put the Sheep's Creek on the end, and then I'll come off the come off the dropper with uh, the little pink scud. And the Sheep's Creek would be probably a number eight. It's a real, real good damselfly nymph imitation, as well as a number of other, just kind of a generic thing. Sure. And it's, I've never really found a Sheep's Creek to be really hot, but it always catches fish. Right on. So I'm going to use that. Those are my, that's kind of my exploring rig to find out where they're at and so on and so forth. So, hmm. And if it's a cutthroat lake, I use the pink scud. If it's, uh, uh, you know, a brookie lake, they tend to like a, a brown hairs here, about a number 14. Okay. Either with or without the beat hit, so. Yeah, you can never go too far wrong with a hair's ear nymph, just about anywhere. No, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, just about any time of year, too. I'm going to ask you some quick-fire questions, and I just realized that now that, you know, I always, the first one I start off with, Mike, is often your favorite music to listen to on the way to the water. Now, the caveat here being the goat, what's the sound system like? I mean... <laughs> I guess you're not listening to a lot of tunes on the way to the water, are you? Oh, I'm really not. No, no. Uh, I just I'm thinking, I'm thinking ahead and what's your wondering fi- and hope. What's your favorite place to talk fly fishing? Coffee shop, fly shop, or uh, watering hole? Anywhere you like to go to talk fly fishing? Oh, the fly shop, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Favorite sports? Yeah, I, favorite sports team? Pro, college, or otherwise? Oh, the Seahawks. Ah, there you go. Yeah, I've got to watch the Seahawks every week. So I'm not a big sports fan, but I, I do like to watch them and kind of keep an eye on where they're going. What's the biggest lesson you've learned working uh, at the fly shop, just seeing people in and out every day? What, what's the biggest takeaway? I guess for me, it's just the, the camaraderie, you know, just being around other people who who enjoy the same types of things that I enjoy. And, and I love teaching people too. You know, I, I just, find that to be a really uh, a real bonus work in their fly shop is because I get to teach people how to you know how to tie on a dropper a lot of them don't know how to run two flies a lot of them won't do it so talk them into running two flies well you know how, how effective that can be yeah absolutely so, you know, show them how to tie it up I mean you know I had a guy come in last year who just uh, he had a, just a cheapy little outfit he got from somebody you know and he said give me something good you know so I set him up with a top of the line fly rod and reel and I didn't have the proper weight line he wanted, so I had him go down to the other shop and get it there. And he said, well, I'm coming back. I'll, I want you to help me with it. So it was pretty cool to be able to, to rig it all up. And it wasn't real busy that day, so be able to put the fly line on the reel and tie on the leader for him and, and you know, give him some po- some tips about how to cast it and, and those kinds of things. That's cool. That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the good stuff when you can spend time like that with customers that are... Oh, yeah. Well, this particular fellow was like, Okay, I went up to this one lake. I, there's a few lakes around here you can drive to. I, so I went up there, and I was catching some fish, and then I got a tangle. So I put on our new leader, and I said, well, what pound test was that? And then I stopped catching fish. I said, well, what pound test was that leader? Well, I think it was 12. That's kind of like that. <laughs> now, these, these fish, are, they're a little line shy, especially when you've got water that you can see down 20 feet. You know, you, you need to use something lighter. So I was able to... I was showing how to tie a surgeon's tie on some tippets to save a little money on fly 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 line or fly leaders and those types of things. So I enjoyed that thoroughly. I think uh, you know, as far as teaching people, I, I get a big kick out of that, you know, and so the fly shop worked really well. I remember uh years ago I had a uh, I got some relatives. It was my uh, uh son in law, one of my son in laws and one of my grandchildren came over and they wanted to 
take a trip on the Clark Fork River, like a little drift boat. So I said, okay, let's let's go. And I put, brought my fly rod with me, a little three-weight, but I wasn't going to fish. I, I'm just on the oars, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, these are hardware fishermen and bait fishermen, and they're, ha- they're slamming everything. And five miles of the river, they never caught anything, never had a bite, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're getting down near the takeout, you know, and, and my, my son-in-law points across the river. He says, what's going on over there? Well, it's a pot of fish. They were just nailing some PNDs over there, you know, nice little hatch. And so I said, oh, well, that's what, we, that's what I've been waiting for. <laughs> so I rode over, rode over and, and dropped the anchor down and, and grabbed the fly rod and tied on a PND and threw it out there and bam, got to take a right away. And I thought that one brought it in and let it loose and threw it out again. And bam, got another one and gave that to my stepson. And, and he got that in. And then so I cast it out again and bam, took another one and gave it to the grandson and he lost the fish. But the gist of that whole thing was, it's okay, now we got to go. We rode over to lunch. He's, he, my son lost shook his head and says, man, I got to learn to fly fish. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, yeah, I guess. And he did. Yeah. So he's been a partner on a lot of my backpacking trips and, and he's really learned uh, pretty good about how to cast a fly rod, how to work fish and stuff. So, well, from my experience, that's been the best way to convert people over to, to fly fishing is just show them how successful it can be. Cause sometimes it's, it's really the only thing that works in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you're not fly fishing, you're usually doing what? Oh, I'm an outdoorsman, so there's got to got to be something outside. You know, I mean, I, I got to get outside. So you know, yeah. maybe it's uh, just maybe it's it just depends on the time of year. Maybe you know, in the in the, in the early fall, it's bird hunting and and those types of things. But in the summertime, it's it's always I'm up in the lakes. You know. Most, but if I'm not doing that, then like today, I went outside. We had some snow, and and uh, you know, a long driveway, and and uh, my neighbor came down with his plow and plowed it out. Well, that kicks up a bunch of rocks and stuff. So those are not real kind to my snow throwers. So I just wandered up down the driveway, picked rocks, and threw them out of the way. You know, just anything to be outside. Yeah, outside. So. Yeah, absolutely. Most most recent book you've read? Mm, most recent. Yeah, I'm always reading two or three. Uh, I'm thinking. There's so many. Usually, I've got two or three going at a time. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoy. I, I've got an idea for a book, and so I'm doing, doing some research with my writing. Mm. So it's a matter of. Uh, well, in one particular case, uh, one book I read recently it was was pretty darn good. It was about a guy that was working for a, uh, a lodge up in Alaska. You know, and he, it was interesting because I've done some research about that. And he was describing the land very, very well. I mean, obviously you knew he was there, you know, you knew he was, he, he'd been there. He knew what he was talking about, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I really enjoy stuff that's, uh, you know, survival stuff, you know, where you really have to rely on your own resources and, and figure things out. You know, usually I'm reading something like that. Best fly fishing location you have been. Oh, as far as Highland Lakes? I'd say just anything, what, just whatever, ever. yeah, ever. Well, if it would be ever, I got a really nice ship, about 25 pounds out of Puget Sound. I had a big boat at the time. We lived out there and did some downrigger fish and stuff. And that was, that was a memorable mm-hmm. trip. It took a long time to get him in. Yeah, it's a big salmon for sure. Um, I, want, I want to do something, Mike. I like to kind of uh, find out what your idea of a perfect day on the water is. Maybe you can paint us a little picture of what that looks like, the the type of water you'd be fishing, and, and just kind of harness your uh, inner artist for a second and, and take us on a journey. Yeah, sure. Well, I think I would get to, uh, 
I'm thinking of mountain lakes, of course. That's where I spend most of my time fly fishing. So I'm thinking of arriving, arriving at the trailhead, you know, just after dawn. Uh, maybe I got a five mile hike ahead of me, maybe a three mile hike, whatever. I want to get it out of the way before the heat starts heating up. Um, and so it would be getting up and I'd be finding the temperature, air temperature, maybe 70 degrees when it's close to a hundred down below in the valley and a nice calm water and seeing some fish come up and, and, uh, and I've got somebody with me that has not really done any fly fishing before. So I want to give them an opportunity to give it a try. It strikes me that that's kind of your wheelhouse. You, you, you really, even from talking to you and reading, um, some of your blogs, you, I can tell you really enjoy sharing the pastime with others. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's what it's all about. I, I, I think I enjoy teaching people how to catch fish more than actually catching them myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just a big kick. Uh, I mentioned my, my uh, son-in-law who spent so much time with me on the trail and uh, we went up to one particular lake uh, up in the Kootenai country and, and uh, it was it was a mesotrophic lake, a lot real shallow. And so you got out in the middle of it, a lot of lot of uh, you know duff on the bottom of the lake, a lot of lot of weed activity. I mean, it was just a typical mesotrophic lake, mm-hmm. just deep enough in the middle where the trout could overwinter. And so I had my little backpack boat with me, and, and uh, these guys wanted to try it. So we hooked, so I hooked him up with. Uh, actually, I took the boat out and I started catching fish. I was just using a royal wolf. We got there right after that first frost of the season so there wasn't anything flying at all but they're still hungry you know and so i just dumped a royal wolf out there just and just i don't know i probably caught about 20 fish and and then i uh, rode into shore and i says okay you know jeff is his name i said here's the fly and we tie it on there for you want to give us a try you know because he was doing some spin fishing off the shore not doing much good trying to get out past the weed growth and Mm -hmm. stuff you know so he rode out of the deep part in the lake, and he started catching fish. He says, and he came back in. He said, "This is just completely different, just completely different, you know, than than what he's used to doing." But he loved it. Now he's dyed in the wool. <laughs> he's a dyed in the wool fly fisherman. Well, that's something too. I think with uh, you know river and stream fishing, fly fishing in particular being so popular, the still water, and especially the alpine still water, opens up some some water that's that's not, you know, you're going to find some space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is that a lot? Of is space. that what draws you to it more than anything? Yeah, I think it's the solitude. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I did an article for Montana Outdoors a number of years ago, and, and in the course of doing that, I interviewed some people with fish, wildlife, and parks here in Montana, and I went on the saying, "Yeah, the rivers are nice, and that's cool, and everything, but uh, the real Montana is up there in the mountains." And you round that last corner, and that lake comes into view, and it's just like, oh man, this is it. Right on. You know. Have you had any uh, bear encounters or wildlife encounters in your time? Um, I would imagine trekking through the high country, you're going to run into a few things. Oh, once in a while, I might see a bear or something. But I practice bear wear camping. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, I did an article for Montana Outdoors on that a number of years ago, and uh, so I use uh, what's called an opsat. You know, I don't want to. I don't know if I could mention, you know, trademark names or anything, yeah. but these are a uh, a waterproof and odor-proof bag mm-hmm. that I keep all my food in, and if I, you know, garbage or anything like that, and you can take that bag, and, and I've tested it, and throw it on the ground, you know, and normally mice are all over something, you know, they, they won't even touch it, they can't even smell it, my dog can't even smell it, so I use that, and it's pretty safe. What, what was the name of that again? <laughs> but I, I'm always careful, too. What was the name of that, Mike? I wanted to 
Oh, OPSAC, O-P. Okay. It's, oh, it stands for odor proof. Nice. They're made by a company here in Montana, actually. But they were there's a there's some knockoffs. You could, you don't have to get that particular brand. I mean, I've never tried anything else, but mm-hmm. uh, you know that that's what I use. I practice barrelware camping, so I'm really really careful. Keep a clean camp, you know those kinds of things. I got really frustrated with a guy, uh, and I don't pack a handgun either. I pack bear spray. I found that to be much more. They find that to be much more effective than you know a firearm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least when you're talking about the four footed critters. But I went to one particular lake. It's the same lake I mentioned earlier. And uh, as we're camped out there, I watched a guy. He hiked in, and he was fishing out the shore. And he, uh, he caught some fish. You know, he was about 100 yards away. And so he he left. And I thought, well, I'm going to go back down where he was fishing and kind of poke around a little bit. And I went down there, and I saw where he had cleaned some fish and left the entrails on a log. Oh, shoot. Next to the, next to the lake. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. We're bagging our food every night. <laughs> 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 and I thought if this guy was still around, I might have to give him a little snoot full of bear spray, just on accident, you know, just just an accident. But uh, yeah, that Jesus is grizz country, supreme, and he's leaving guts. No, no, uh-uh. yeah. So no, I've never had any. Once in a while, I've seen a bear, but I've never had any problems with him ever. But then again, I told I told my friend, and you know, if somebody's going with me, it's kind of like because that's their first question too. If they've never done much backpacking, what about bears? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I don't worry about bears. For one thing, I practice bearware camping, so I'm really careful. For another thing, I got three burglar alarms. They said, what do you mean? I got my dog, I got my pack coat, and I got you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're covered. Good stuff. Right on. Hey, Mike, if you had to pinpoint somebody or some people that have been influential in you learning fly fishing, um, who would you point to or who comes to mind? Well, I would point to the, the guy that introduced it to me years and years ago when, when I was in my 20s, and I mentioned him earlier. And uh, it just it just kind of bit. You know, it was completely different. But he's the one that turned me on to it. He's the one that got me started. And even though I drifted away from it for many years, uh, I still remember that. I still remember those times. Hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. It's so important too to pass that stuff on, you know, just to and and you're doing it daily, I'm sure, in the shop. Um, what do you uh, what do you got going on this winter? Is the winter for you a time that you can kind of sit down and and really get some blogs, some 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 articles written, or what are you up to this winter? Usually, I'm trying to get caught up around the house. <laughs> All the stuff that I ignored so I can go fishing. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're all right. You know, I tend to write anyway year round, so. Um, but, uh, the dead of winter, I don't know. A lot of guys tie flies and I've thought about, it. I don't tie my own flies as you saw in my blog, but, uh, I don't tie them because, well, for one thing, my fingers are kind of fumbly, but for another thing, and they tell me, somebody once told me, don't ever start tying your own flies because you'll never stop. It'll consume you, mm. you know, and I can see that, you know, I talk to fly tires and boy, they, they really get into it. So yeah, that's it. And I and I, I and I know I would too. So I decided not to start. <laughs> it's I I know when I started doing it, I thought, well, I'll save money. Well, it, no, that's not really why. That's no, not why no. we do it. Um, but it took me a while to figure that out. Um, you do it because you you can make something that that maybe nobody else has, or maybe yeah, for me, it's a it's an artistic kind of you know, it's a way to express um, what you think a dragonfly or damselfly looks like, not necessarily what the world thinks, you know? Yeah. And you know, there's a great feeling of accomplishment too. You know, you tied that fly. I, I, like I said, I don't know it, but 
you know, you're tie your own fly and, and you've caught a fish on it. And that's, that's a great accomplishment. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I hand load, you know, I do some hunting too, so I hand load and it's kind of the same thing, you know, to, to, to harvest an animal with, with, with a, a round that I had hand loaded myself and experimented with to get it just right, you know, and that's, uh, that feels pretty darn good. Yeah. Which is probably why I don't tie my own flies. Another reason, because I get into it and it's just, you know, I just get lost in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I know how that goes. It is one of those pastimes that there's so many, like if you just want to be into entomology and learn about all the insects that you're going to encounter and, and, and how to imitate them, that's one journey. If you just want to learn about casting, that's another journey. You want to learn about fly tying, oh, yeah. you know, and photography. And that's the, th- I think the really cool thing about, about fly fishing is you you mentioned it before. You you love getting outdoors. It's a reason to get outdoors to pursue something you like, and and you get to probably learn something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the, learning something. That's one of the things I really appreciate about fly fishing. You are never going to arrive. There's always more to learn. Like you say, if you want to learn about bugs, you can learn a lot about bugs. If you want to, you know, want to learn how to do a double haul, you can do that. But there's always something to learn. That's one of the things I really appreciate about our industry. And the other thing I really like, too, we haven't touched on this yet, is the conservation part. I mm. mean, uh, most, of, most of the people fly fishing, when I've talked to, you know, they belong to Trout and Trout or whatever, you know, uh, to, to help out. They're involved in, in uh, you know, introducing kids to fishing, whether it's fly fishing or not, just whatever. You know, they're just, they're bringing up that next generation. So I'm all about that, too. You know, we, we need to add two people to our ranks. That's for sure. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. I think about being fly fishermen though, you know, I, I, <clears throat> it's frustrating to me, you know, cause once in a while somebody come in the shop and, and boy, they're the expert, you know, they know it all. And, and they've got, you know, a $1,500 outfit and, and, uh, everybody else is just, uh, you know, dirt because they don't know how to do this as well as I do, you know? So they're kind of the curmudgeonly types, you know, and you're kind of like, you know, just, I had a guy come in the fly shop recently. This is a good example. He came in with a friend of his. He said, I'm going to take my friend fly fishing. He's never been fly fishing before. I got it. I got an outfit for him and it wasn't just, just a cheap outfit, you know? Mm-hmm. And he says, we need to know what's, what's working. So I sold him some flies and stuff. And I says, well, tell me about your outfit. He described his outfit, you know, just, you know, it's a $1,500 outfit. I mean, just, a beautiful outfit, you know, and I said, I'll tell you, I got an idea for you. Now, what do you got for your buddy? And he showed me, and I went, oh, man, this guy is not going to go, you're not going to go fly fishing because it's just going to be too difficult, you know. So it's like, I got an idea for you. What's that? Take your outfit and give it to him to fish with. <laughs> if you really want to really make him a fly fisherman, you know, you don't want to give him a rod that's like trying to cast a utility pole or something, you know. Yeah, yeah it's true. Give them something good. Set them up with good stuff. My, I mentioned my son-in-law. Uh, my daughter called me and she says, uh, Jeff really wants to get into fly fishing. What would you suggest? You know, I said, well, you know, for 500 bucks, or it's going to cost you around 500 bucks, but you get a decent outfit. You know, rod, reel, and everything. You're, yeah, and that's... Start them with something like that's that. That's going to last you a know? lifetime too, right? I mean... Exactly, Yeah. Have you had anything weird or wonderful happen to you on any of your trips that come to mind? I like to ask if you've got any crazy fish stories. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've got a favorite lake. Oh, I've got a number of favorite lakes up here, but I hiked into this lake. I was just there for a day trip, <clears throat> and uh, it was only about a three-and-a-half-mile hike, and there was a couple of guys who were, who were fishing there. They were camping fishing. I would just go in, like I say, for the day, and 
I asked him how they were doing. He said, well, no, we've been fishing. No, I haven't fished. I haven't got anything. They've been there for like two days. What are you using? Well, I'm using night crawlers. Oh, okay. So I walked out in the log boom, and I tied on little brown hairs here, you know, gold rich hairs here, and casted it out and crawled it back, and boom, fish on, you know. So I cast it again, boom, another fish on. He's watching, you know. Finally, I'm feeling sorry for him. <laughs> so I said, okay, you got a spinning rod here. I got a, I got a casting bubble for you. Put on about six feet of two-pound test and tie on a little fly like this, you know. So I gave him the stuff, you know. Boom, he started catching fish. He goes, man, this is awesome. So sat there and had lunch and talked to him for a while. And, and uh, then it came time for me to, to hike out. He says, hey, you got any more of them bugs? And I said, yeah, I, I, actually, I do. Well, how much you want for it? I said, 25 bucks a piece. <laughs> you know, I do a quick calculation. Let's see, the nearest fly shop's 20 miles away, and it's a three-mile hike and stuff. And he just looked at me, his jaw dropped, you know, and I say, I'm just kidding. Here, here's a couple of flies for you, you know, just knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah, it, I think the price of the fly should always be directly related to how close the fly shop is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right on. You, you might have touched on this already, but is there anything you think that we c- could do better as fly fishers? Like, is there anything that we could improve upon? Well, I think, uh, yeah, we kind of talked about that already. But one is, is to, no, I think the most important thing is, is, is be ready to introduce somebody to it, you know. And don't, I see too many fly fishermen that, I mean, they've been doing this for years. They've learned how to do it. And so they pretend to know it all and they look down their noses at other people and you know, they're conversionally types. It just, that bothers me. I think we just need to be willing to help people out, you know, even if they're, even if they want to use hardware or something, you know, meet, meet them where they're at, you know, and then try and encourage them to come up a little higher. I like that. Meet them where they're at. That's good. Yep. Awesome. So let's talk about availability of your book. Uh, now, Mike's writ- written a book called A Fly Fisher's Guide to Northwest Montana's Mountain Lakes. Spent a lot of time doing research for you, over 130 lakes. That's a lot of trips and a lot of miles. Um, where's the book available, Mike? Uh, it's published by Wilderness Adventures Press. And they're here in uh, Belgrade, Montana. You can just Google Wilderness Adventures Press. It'll, it'll come right up. I can give you the website if you want. Sure. But it's available through them. It's available, <clears throat> you know, on uh, Amazon. You know, I think uh, there's a number of other, other different sources. Uh, all you got to do is just uh, to Google it, and you'll, you'll come up with it, you know. so Or you can contact me. I sell it on the blog, too, or, uh, you know, or contact me through the blog, and I've got a few copies here. So sure. And what's the what's the out. name of your blog, we'll just so we can uh, can look that up? Uh, it's under my name, MikeRacer dot com. Mm-hmm. I saw something and, about uh, life. The name of the blog was that Life Under a Big Sky. Was that the name of it? Yeah, the name of it. it that, you can't find it by that address. Was well, you could probably Google it. Life Under a Big Sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those most I write, most of what I write is from Montana, yeah, that kind of area. Well, I love what you're up to, and and your passion really shines through in your blog. Um, I look forward to getting my hands on your book, and it sounds like uh, uh, you've got a lot of exciting things in the works. Uh, you've got, I know you say you've got some more articles that you're working on. Thanks so much, Mike, for for taking the time to join us tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I enjoy doing it. We've been chatting tonight with Mike Rather. Now, Mike has a book called Fly Fisher's Guide to Northwest Montana's Mountain Lakes. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. 
Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.